Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Conversations on Critical Operations. Today we're talking to David Trumbly. He's an engineering supervisor at University of California at Davis. Good morning, David. Good morning, Nick. Thanks for having me. Great. And uh, I'm Nick Durazio. I'm from OSIsoft. And as we go through today, please use the chat in YouTube to ask questions if you want. So, uh, David, can you start by just telling us a little bit about UC Davis? Sure. UC Davis is uh, part of the University of California system. It's a uh, large land-grant university. It's actually the largest UC by land. Um, some notables, we have a, a well-known vet school, top vet school and um, ag program. And we also have sort of a, a lot of uh, other programs. We have a good engineering program and some professional schools. We have a medical school across the causeway in Sacramento, as well as a business school and the law school. And we also, uh, relevant to this discussion, we have um, sort of a city scale utility system that that uh, my department maintains. All right. And we'll talk more about that engineering department and some of the things that you're doing with uh, the real time data with that engineering department. Um, what do you do at UC Davis? Yeah, so I'm an engineer in the utilities department. I supervise a team of uh, engineers and analysts and basically we're responsible for um, helping the campus buy electricity and gas and manage those contracts as well as uh, charge uh, folks who use our um, utilities. And then uh, we also uh, manage a lot of meter and data work on campus. And then um, we're trying to help our utility systems run optimally and comply with environmental regulations and also help plan for future capacity of our utility systems. Okay, great. And um... You know, one of the things you presented at PyWorld Online, and I really encourage everybody to go out and watch all the PyWorld Online, David's in particular. And one of the things that you said during that presentation, and, and this, you know, this interview, we're not going to duplicate much of what you said there, but I want to dig down into some of the details. You just mentioned in passing that one of the, one of your big goals was to have, in your use of real-time data, is to have a single kind of infrastructure for that real-time data. Can you describe what you were talking about? Sure, yeah, so just uh, to refresh, the, I think the example I uh, gave there was uh, related to our central heating and cooling plant where uh, previously we've had data in our plant SCADA system and then other data in our building SCADA system and we were able to bring those all into Pi and then that enables interesting screens to, to look at um, situations where uh, those two systems basically are, are interdependent and break break down silos. Um, so, uh, you know, that's really what I'm talking about. Um, we're, we're, uh, we have data in a lot of different places on campus and, and increasingly as kind of things become smarter, there's uh, more and more data. And so um, our vision for yeah. a single data infrastructure is to, is to have all that data in Pi. Right. And, and we'll talk about those. And, um, and also, I mean, there were a couple of other things that popped up in your presentation, like your use of uh, Wi-Fi metrics. I'm just yeah. I'm dying to figure out how you got all that into the, you know, into the into this one system. Because see, this is I mean, this is just it's a it's a cliche, uh, these silos of data. And, and and we always talk about it as, as though it's like a fait accompli that, uh, yeah, we now we now have a single 
you know, a single infrastructure for all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. You dig into the details and it gets to be fascinating of all the different interfaces are required, all the different ways people are, grab are grabbing that data. So we'll see if we can get into that some, uh, as we go along. Yeah, um, that sounds great. Yeah, so, so and, and one of the examples you described, um, there was a, you, you described a chilled water uh, and a chilled water system that had traditionally, I guess, it, was it your chilled water? Well, is that what you were just talking about? The chilled water and the yes. heating system that had never had never talked about. So what were some of the difficulties that were presented by that? Well, um, you know, so this I mean, what, is what couldn't you do that you that you'd like to be able to you're able to do now, I guess. Yeah. So the big the big point of of kind of connection with respect to energy savings is especially that well um, so you know the the plant the central heating and cooling plant has these large electric chillers that are making cold water and then that cold water is distributed around campus and used by the buildings and then returned to the to the chillers so um, and then how the buildings um, operate and use that that chilled water in their building uh, heating and ventilation systems and air conditioning systems uh, really impacts the efficiency of the chillers and specifically this quantity delta T, which is basically the um, the difference in temperature between the chilled water supplied by the chiller and, and what returns to the chiller is, is very impactful on chiller efficiency. And so um, if buildings are not uh, kind of using the cooling they're getting and returning back a much lower, temp uh, I'm sorry, much higher temperature back to the chiller, then that impacts chiller efficiency. So essentially exposing the data from both systems made us able to to um, to see which buildings were impacting chiller efficiency, and then ultimately see the results on chiller efficiency. We've got some slides. We're looking at the delta uh, delta T screen. Yeah. Now you and you were saying that the this type of comparison was just something you weren't able to do before in the past. Yeah, that's correct. Just <clears throat> having a single view of all the buildings, delta T and flow, and then uh, how the plant is behaving as a result was not something we were able to see before. So the power really is for the plant, if the, the chiller is not running efficiently, the plant can then identify why. Uh, whereas previously it was a total black box. And then that, that then feeds into um, you know, per, um, operational collaboration because all of a sudden there's, there's enough information for for folks to actually substantive, substantively co collaborate. Uh, whereas before it could just be like, hey, our chillers aren't run efi running efficiently. What are you guys doing? And they might be, say like, we have no idea. Or, you know, we have to, we have to dr uh, drill in and look at the different buildings. But now it's kind of all there in a single view. Um, and, then, and then similarly, a building operator could, could look at a building and see, see a building that's high flow, um, low delta T, which is um, kind of a energy problem. And then either uh, fix the operations or identify a retrofit that needs to be done or wh whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Okay, right. What were the interfaces that you needed to use to get that, that two sets of information together? Was that both from the same control system or was it were it different control systems? Um, so the plant control system is a Wonderware system. So we're currently using the RDBMS interface for that. Um, we do in the, not that particular Wonderware control system, but a different Wonderware control system. We've actually collaborated extensively with OSIsoft to uh, use the new uh, Wonderware connector, the connector for Wonderware Historian. So eventually we'll also, that's for our water and gas uh, SCADA system. Eventually we'll roll that over and use it for our central heating and cooling plant SCADA system. 
So uh, we really like the connectors and um, the fact that the new tags now are created automatically and there's uh, quite a bit of benefit there. And um, let's see, the, the building control systems are largely Siemens um, systems. So um, we're, we've used different methods to get those into Pi, but uh, largely we've used um, RDBMS and OPC at this time. Okay. Yeah. You actually make use of Wi-Fi to uh, Wi-Fi information to help you figure out what occupancy is like currently in the uh, in the rooms. Yes. Where in the world did you get Wi-Fi data, and how did you bring it into the Pi system? Yeah. So um, the campus uh, ha has a way of accessing um, the current, you know, every 15 minute uh, count for all the different Wi-Fi hotspots on campus, which are generally named by by building and fairly. Uh, discernible what what they mean um, so so that was available and and we were able to, to essentially pull that from a website and we're using the UFL connector to to essentially do a, a HTTP uh, get of that um, I don't know maybe I didn't quite use the right the, quite the right term but we're, we're getting that from the website using the UFL connector and then that sort of uh, parses it and and goes into Pi uh, okay. Yeah, the UFL mean the universal file loader. Yeah. Basically, are, okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. For for getting data from a variety of things, and and in this case, you're using it to parse out that uh, that web web data. Yeah. And so the the oh. the new connector has been especially valuable to us because you know the UFL interface, um, you you uh, seemed like you had to um, mostly kind of put the data in a place. Um, but the connector has the ability you can do rest posts or or get kind of gets um, using rest so there's um, a lot more that can do and then there's also just the fact that again things are kind of more created automatically as as uh, new new data uh, tags come in and things like that so tell people what we're looking at here yeah so the ultimate end game here is to schedule buildings um, so that uh, they're off when no one's there now, not all buildings are, are uh, fair game for that because a lot of our buildings are labs, but there's some where uh, folks aren't around on the weekends or on holidays. And so uh, we have a team that's trying to optimize our building energy use, and uh, this was something they wanted to do. But it's it's a difficult problem. And so the, the, one of the things they did first was kind of looked at the schedule, and they've automated ways to basically um, uh, look at, kind of get a good look at the schedule um, for the courses and other events, and then turn off uh, buildings that aren't, or rooms that are, or um, uh, zones that are not being used. Right, um, and that's something people have done for decades, I imagine, right? Yeah, although, um, you know, it's it's not a given. I think there's there's a, a real. It's difficult to take the scheduling systems and and um, and integrate them with a. Uh, evergreen method of of um, of dealing with the HVAC scheduling. So there's, I think, the opportunity. Even if you were to, at one given point, optimize it perfectly, the problem is that you have people constantly changing the the HVAC scheduling, and you have people, right. and the, the schedule is constantly changing. So there's uh, some automation needed to really make that good. But so then, having done that, that that's a that was a good a good starting point. But but we wanted to go farther, and so what we're actually doing is we're we're um, sort of testing and uh, and verifying places where 
um, I think probably the worst case scenario is there's an event that we missed and, and someone's there and, um, and the HVAC is not on. And then another a, a second problematic scenario is the HVAC is, is on and no one's there. Um, so those are kind of the two inverse scenarios. So on the top, we have this, that exact scenario. So the purple is the, uh, graph of the wife, the occupancy based on the Wi-Fi count. This is just like number of connected devices. And then you see the HVAC, that's the, the little kind of square red, uh, boxes. So this is uh, 16 days. So you can see basically every day is on at this building, but, but what you can see is that there's periods where there's virtually no one there. Um, so once we had this data, we could, um, turn things down and then, and, uh, or off and then essentially, so that, that's the good. So you see in the, um, in a later period, this is the first one is in June of 2019. The second one is in December of 2019. We're basically able to, uh, turn things off and we have a good sense for, uh, verifying that yes, in fact, no one is there. There's no one on Wi-Fi. And so you see that the the gold uh, is kind of intermittent now, and those and those correlate with the blue, which is the Wi-Fi occupancy. Um, and then another thing we've done is we've actually used Pi notifications, so that if there's times where the Wi-Fi occupancy goes up, and um, the HVAC is off, we um, because it's now all in Pi. This is a use case where we're essentially um, the value here is the HVAC data combined with the Wi-Fi data, and um, and then if that's if that's uh, if the HVAC is off and the Wi-Fi occupancy is is uh, up, then there's a notification and someone can can go in and turn things on, uh, bef maybe mm -hmm. before complaints happen and that sort of stuff. So very cool. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned in your presentation was that you you are doing uh, you're working with some uh, outside vendors, and practically part of your selection criteria nowadays is uh, are you you know are you able to look at our real-time data are you you know are you do you have the wherewithal do you know the tool set etc cetera, etc cetera. tell me a little bit about, about that yeah so i mean we acknowledge that uh, there are there are a lot of ways to look at real-time data so um, we didn't want to make um, pi a or knowledge of pi or use of pi a you know single issue uh, thing with with respect to selecting a consultant but we we did um Recently, we're doing this big chilled water system optimization, which I've uh, hinted at a little bit already, um, and and we did we did decide to include knowledge of Pi as as a um, requirement in that in that uh, RFP and the subsequent interviews, um, and the, the the thought there was that um, our life and our project will will be a lot better and easier if the um, consultant also has a knowledge of Pi. So. We ended up getting a, a consultant, Smith Engineering, that um, that uh, kind of has a similar level of use of Pi, pretty pervasive, and um, and uh, it, it kind of turned out that there were a lot of other things with with them that aligned well, but um, but uh, the use of the use of Pi, I think, in some ways, I, I feel like uh, if if folks uh, use Pi, that's somewhat likely that other other values will also align. So I, I don't think it's an accident that. That we aligned in, in a whole bunch of different areas, um, but but right now we're basically sh uh, sharing our Pi data with them, and uh, they're okay. they're using that to do their project. So what mechanism? You know, we got a bunch of different ways of sharing data. What what did you all choose to do? Yeah. So right now we're using Pi to Pi. Uh, we we considered a few things. We considered uh, like the the Pi Web API and Cloud Connect, but 
Um, right now, we've uh, kind of for historical reasons, I think they, they're, they're still using pie to pie, and that, that's how we are doing it now. Um, okay. There's going to be some other sharing, though, um, kind of back toward us. Uh, you know, they're building, they're building pie vision screens uh, on their side um, with our data, and then eventually we're going we're gonna to share those back, back to us. So uh, I think that'll, that'll be a cool uh, process as well. Okay, cool. Yeah. When you came on board, there was already a pie bin, or, or the, your, your use of real-time data had been around for quite a while, from back yeah. to 2006 or eight or something like that, right? So what was it like that you stepped into? Can you describe your process and kind of what, sure. you, what you picked up, what you started doing? Yeah, and let me just say one more thing. I think it's worth mentioning in terms of this one version, kind of one system of record. There, are, for different kinds of use cases, there's lots of different systems of record. Like financial, Pi is not our financial system, but one thing that's valuable about Pi is it really, especially with some of the later tools like the Pi Web API, the ability to integrate with other systems well and get data in and data out is really valuable because. There are going to be other systems of record, but as long as those systems can talk to each other, there's a lot of value. Um, we started using the Pi system in about uh, 2006, and I came uh, to UC Davis in 2014. I was um, there was a person there who who was a couple of folks there who were working on Pi, but they had uh, either moved on to other jobs outside or inside the organization. So um, the the Pi system was, I'd say, in slight disrepair. Um, so, so I, I did a lot of work, maybe, maybe 75 to 90 percent of my first one or two years working at UC Davis was working on Pi and getting the Pi system back kind of where it needed to be. Um, so that included kind of um, cleanup and merging systems, um, as well as um, installing new new software that had come come along. I, I, probably the biggest one that came along that we didn't have yet was um, a good implementation of AF as well as a good implementation of Pi Vision. Um, but you know, early what I, I I did inherit quite a bit of um, initial work. So um, we had some good operator screens. We had a pretty self-sustaining energy dashboard that was created maybe in the late. Uh, 2010s or uh, or late uh, 20s or early 2010s, um, and very early, right? You were thinking early. it's probably one of one of the earliest facilities dashboards that had ever been created. That's my opinion. And the amazing thing is, just uh, it was using Pi SDK and it was written with Visual Basic and it was just humming away like no one had really touched it, but it was working <laughs> working well. Um, and then we also had quite a bit of uh, uh, building meter tags and and uh, central heating and cooling plant tags that were, the data was collecting and things were going well. Um, there, there was, you know, it's interesting as, 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 you, as you neglect a system, over time, either data, data points or data sources may start to kind of <laughs> be lost. So we had, there had been an, an, a migration done that kind of left uh, some data behind. Uh, and, or I, in other words, it was not a, um, Pi aware migration such that the Pi data stopped coming in when the migration was done. Um, so right. I had to fix that. And there were also a lot of um, meters for various reasons that were flatlined. Um, so this is data that's coming into Pi, but it's it's either there's, there were latency issues in the in the metering side or um, various problems where just no one had been looking at the data long enough to or frequently enough to, to notice these problems. Um, so 
I would say like there were a lot of kind of structural systemic things I did early on, but in, again, including installing new software. But then as I started to get into the data, there was quite a bit of kind of more tag by tag look. And the interesting thing is that, uh, you know, this was, I did that maybe from 2014 to 2016. And then I had, a, I kind of became a supervisor in the 2016 timeframe. And there were folks who came after me who I was supervising who probably could say the same, really almost the same thing. Like they got a better system from me, but, but, uh, you know, they had their own generation of improving stuff that I hadn't gotten to. And then there would be honestly had another group that's here now, maybe starting in 2018 or so who, who found a whole nother, kind of went to a whole nother depth. Um, you know, ultimately the goal being to, um, ensure, uh, quality data, and expand the data we have and I implement good business processes so that, that we have good data um, going forward and, and we know if it goes bad. And you know, all that is kind of built on the presupposition that, that we want the data. There's a, a lot of business value in having the data and having, and having it be okay. good. Yeah, I mean, and, and well, I guess we don't want to get into a lot of the weeds of how you straightened out all those, you know, all those IO timeouts and, yep. and tags that weren't aligned anymore. And, and yep. do, do we still have tool sets? We used to have at some point we were trying to share tool sets to allow make people to make that easier. Um, did, you, did, did we offer any help with that? Um, I, I don't remember. Yeah, I should have, I should have looked that up. It, my yeah. information's 10 years old. No, that, that's okay. Um, you know, I, certainly I used PyTools to, to look at the data. Um, Early on, we implemented PI notifications to send emails when the data was bad for a certain period of time. Uh, we've kind of, uh, the, now that notifications are event and event frames are kind of more merged, we've kind of moved to event frames in some cases. Uh, in some cases, we actually have Python scripts now that we're using with the web API. So, uh, but okay. what, the, the, what I'm saying there is that, um, as, is that early on, we implemented ways of triggering if the data was bad so that at least we knew because an early on sinking feeling I had was to say, someone asked for the data and I say, yeah, we have that. And then I look at it, oh, it's been stale for nine months, you know? Right, and you were telling me that there's some, you actually have put some workflow plus processes in place to try to ensure that the data does, that you have some kind of quality assurance on the data. Yeah. You're looking at data quality all the time. Yeah, we've done, Can you describe a little of that? Sure, we've done a ton of work on this. Um, I mentioned uh, notifications and event frames and Python scripts, so, but um, we basically have a, uh, I have um, six people, including myself, who are involved in this, and uh, two people per month are appointed to sort of review. We have these, um, uh, one of our data analysts creates graphs um, and showing the data and kind of doing t tests to see if things are bad or stale. And then we have a, a couple folks uh, Tuesday, Thursdays that review those, and and then we we have systems to kind of create um, work requests to um, to let the meter team know who's out in the field, uh, know and prioritize uh, work, uh, kind of as also as a function of what the meter's used for. Um, so we're doing that, and and we also have for some of our really critical meters, we have notifications that come if the data's been bad for 10 minutes. Uh, that has been a place where we've had to deal with kind of nuisance stuff and, uh, you know, too many and had to tune things and tune tune the true time, especially. Um, so then another component of that is just, so that's kind of more on the data side. 
um, but we've also been doing really extensive work on the meter side to to implement a meter verification program. Um, so, so basically, um, the 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 two big big components of that are one to ensure that new meters that are installed. Well, I'm going to actually say three things. One is we had to inventory our meters. We didn't even know what meters we had and and um, and what they did um, always and and what which meters should be summed or subtracted to get uh, the building energy usage or water usage. Um, and then we we then ha have had to implement processes with our design and construction folks to basically, if a new meter is installed, ha um, how do you ensure that the meter is configured properly and is reading data correctly? And then we've kind of operationalized that to work with our warranty period so that if there's a problem after a certain period of months, we, we know about it and can uh, go back to the contractor who built the building. And then the, so that's new new meters and new buildings. And the third component is for existing meters and buildings. We're, we're basically kind of doing a paint the Golden Gate Bridge type style project where we're going through all of those and verifying those. Um, that's my team essentially working with our, our meter instrumentation and controls folks. So, okay. yeah. Cool. That's very cool. Well, one of the things that, uh, well, I wanted to ask you, what's your results have been, it's, it seems like extraordinarily good. I mean, I'm showing a trend right now of, I think this is a, the energy savings over the last uh, 13 years. Yeah, it's um, one of our favorites in, there. Yeah, just incredible. And the, um, the you've also had, likewise, you've met these, you haven't met your carbon neutrality initiative goals yet, but you have met your water goals, yeah, your water right. use goals, that's which right. is really kind of, kind of astounding. Yeah. Describe a little bit about the process and what kind of results you've gotten. Yeah, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm one person, but as you can imagine, to I think the number is 46% reduction in energy use intensity. Um, that takes a lot of support from a lot of people, kind of on the senior man from the senior management side all the way down to uh, those who are implementing the project. So, um, I. I would be uh, remiss if I didn't just mention that there's a lot of folks um, who are who have worked on this and kind of bought had to buy into our initiatives, um, and then there's also just uh, been good incentive programs with uh, through the through the PG&E and working with the Office of the President to incentivize uh, energy savings projects. Kind of painting in broad strokes, I'd say early on. Uh, we were mostly focusing on really big known uh, opportunities, especially at our plant. Um, one example is installing a condensing economizer um, at our central heating and cooling plant to basically reuse energy that was leaving out of the stack of our boilers. Um, and then over time, there's been a, a pretty big phase where we are retrofitting buildings. Uh, so that's kind of an, another phase that's happened, um, big retrofits. And then now we're kind of moving more into a phase of, of optimization and uh, and um, tuning building operations. Not no, not so much large uh, retrofits, but just using data to uh, maintain savings we've already achieved, as well as to find opportunities for further savings. Right, and and that's the optimization is where the the knowledge of real time data is, you know, really. Uh, is tremendously valuable. Yeah. But there was there were a number of 
instances in which the real-time data was really a part of your process of doing some of these big retrofits yeah. and even some of the design. Is there any anything that comes to mind with that? Yeah, um, one of them is a project we're just just breaking ground on now. Uh, interestingly, um, uh, the fact that uh, we have suspended operations on campus has uh, enabled us, I think, to make more progress than we than we would have. Um, so this is a steam to hot water conversion project. Um, so this this is our next big. This is actually less of an optimization project and another one of the kind of bigger retrofits that we're talking about. Um, this is a, a conversion of our current steam system, which has a lot of losses and is a natural gas system, into a hot water system, which will ultimately have way fewer losses and have heat recovery between our cooling and heating systems. Um, and it will be elect largely electric, potentially fully electric. Um, so um, we used Pi data a lot, especially for that project, for the design. Um, I, I, I believe the student interns and other uh, analysts were, were using essentially Pi data on our uh, existing demands to, to design, uh, do design for that project and to work with the, the design consultant. Um, so this is something that's expanding uh, at UC Davis as we collect more data, just the fact that you can, uh, without real-time data on a system, you can use engineering principles to, to design a, uh, future, a new system or to do a retrofit. But if you have real-time data, you, you have a much better idea of how to size your system, how to size the pipes, what kind of demands are needed, peak demands, as well as um, you know, daily or annual. Mm -hmm. or annual. Uh, requirements. Okay. Cool. So, what you, you you've talked a lot about um, the importance of getting data into the hands of experts. And can you name some of the different experts? There's a whole variety of people that are using this real-time data. Yeah. Uh, can you describe some of the different uh, groups? Sure. Um, so, um, there's researchers. So um, I, I don't know if I can think of a professor right at this moment who's who's uh, pulling Pi data, but certainly their grad students are. <laughs> um, so we have active projects that are collaborations with researchers to um, use our campus as a as a living lab. Um, sometimes we'll pull the data for for them, but um, we have one project that's I think a pretty special project in that uh, there there's there's kind of two kinds of research projects. One is one where we're pulling the data, but it's more just for a researcher to kind of test, test, use our system as a test. But we have a project right now, it's our chilled water optimization project where we're really actually collaborating on, with researchers in the Department of Chemical Engineering to do an actual optimization uh, uh, project. And uh, we're like, it's, it's, they're like part of the project team and, and they're using Pi for, for that project. Um, so that's researchers. Um, students is another one. Uh, we have a, a lot of places where we're sharing data with students for for uh, classes and um, and uh, we have a lot of interns who are either uh, who are doing work on our on our various parts of our systems that are using data either for like lead verification uh, verification or um, helping pull data to see how buildings are doing or helping with reporting energy reporting. Um, right. Hey, let me let me bring up. Uh, there's a a. Uh, display. I'm showing right now your uh, UC Den Davis energy map. The uh, is it? I think it's called the Seed yes. Project. Yes. Yeah. And and this I found absolutely fascinating. You've been exposing this data to um, 
to the public to, to yep. your your um, well just describe what we're taking a look at here and I'll just kind of use some of the uh, use some of the user interface yeah as we're going through this are you looking at the bubble one or the the graph one I'm looking at the bubble one yeah okay so that's the, the, that's the front page um, yeah so that so I, I mentioned researchers and students this is the the, the public really uh, I mean I would say really this is geared toward our campus community and the folks who are in the buildings. Um, we, we have the, mm -hmm. the group is called, um, it's called the camp CETUS campus energy education dashboard. Um, mm -hmm. so the goal here is primarily to give, uh, energy information to the, the occupants of the buildings, but also this is a public website that anyone can view and see how UC Davis is doing. Uh, the bubbles are, are displaying the energy use intensity, which is like energy normalized by square footage for all our buildings on campus. And then we also are, you can drill into a building and see um, monthly usage and uh, compare buildings to other buildings and see real-time demand data. Yeah, w one of the things I'm doing right now is, I love this slider, how you can immediately see what the uh, what the resource hogs are, or the energy hogs. Yeah, absolutely. And then you can just drill down into that and actually look at the building data. Yeah. For this is, what is it, 24 hours, and then we'll go back and look at seven days. Yeah. So um, it's just absolutely yeah. fascinating. And and as you've done this, you've actually found some people. I mean, people who have actually made uh, uh, made changes based on uh, based on some of the things they perceive. Yeah, I I mean I um, I, I don't know if I can think of an exact example of that. I, it, it is interesting that that so that's kind of us giving them feedback. And I, I mentioned in my talk that there's also they're they're giving. Um, they're giving us feedback so um, about their com and, their comfort and so then that that's um, results in a lot of uh, changes that we make now and that was done with the or is that the web API that you used for for doing that yes this this dashboard is built with the web API you've done a lot of things with the web API we, uh, we really um, like the web API okay yeah um, can, you know I should can you just I should, I'm sorry, I'd like to just mention real quick, I just was thinking about um, this this dashboard. Um, you know, UC Davis has been really uh, amazing with, with funding and supporting these kinds of projects, uh, even just providing, we have our, um, we have a project manager, Kiernan, who's a web developer, uh, or a project manager, and we have web developers that are designing these things in-house, and uh, the, the, really at the chancellor level, this this that team was funded. And then really also on the energy saving side of things, um, They've, they've supported kind of a seed funding for a green revolving fund so that we can essentially uh, um, sort of claim the savings we get and then reinvest them in our in our own team. So uh, I think that's an important component just worth mentioning. But go ahead. What, what were you going to say? No, that's and that's actually something I wanted to ask you about. It's it's a nice model because you're saying the seed funding was just kind of to proof of concept and then based on your savings, you're, you're doing further work based on the savings you've been able to demonstrate. Yeah, um, so um, the I, I, would, I think the best way to picture it is they basically funded a team and let them dig a hole, a financial hole, <laughs> and then we're tracking the, the savings based on uh, real-time data, measurement and verification of savings using real-time meter data, and then es essentially uh, transferring money to sort of little by little dig 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 out of the hole and then eventually the team is going to be a self-supporting team once they've dug out of the hole and they're basically have achieved savings to pay for their own salaries and whatever other costs they have cool 
Oh. Now, are you familiar enough with the Web API and what, the, what work they did to, I mean, can you describe like what platform they're using to do the development and what kind of tool sets they're using to develop these cool things? I mean, there was some neat geosynchronous kind of stuff that you were seeing there. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm a little less familiar with that. I, I know that, um, that a lot of our websites were developed in uh, Node.js or React.js. I think it's called React. Um, so that's kind of a front-end thing. Okay. And then those well, are, we'll, those we, are doing we, calls we back. We can skip into, all the details. Yeah, th those are doing uh, calls back into the web into the web API. Okay, cool. Yeah. cool. But they, they've been able to get a lot of good work done. It's a robust API. I mean, we have a variety of ways of uh, accessing data, web API being one of them. Yeah. So, um, But the important thing is that, you know, this is a real-time data application that actually, you, you've seen this over time. You've seen when you've been able to expose people to more information all of a sudden they change some of the behavior. And we've got a slide that shows a great example of that. Let me see if I can bring this up here. Yeah, I'm showing, I'm showing right now a slide, this advanced operator feedback slash op optimization, yeah. which is showing the rate. You were just exposing to people what the current rate was yeah. and what their activity was in chilled water. Describe that example. Yeah, so a little background here. Um, I, I've mentioned we have these large electric chillers that they use electricity to make chilled water. They, they're each about, we have eight of them and they use each about a megawatt of electricity. So just to get perspective, our, our campus in the day is using about 40 megawatts and in, our, in the night about 20. So these eight chillers, that's like, you know, quite a bit, a significantly large percentage of our total electricity. In, in other words, you can see on the real-time data for the campus when these chillers go on and off. <laughs> um, so, uh, and then we also have a large tank. It's a five million gallon tank that allows us to uh, store the, the cold water uh, as desired, basically. So, uh, you know, up to the capacity of the tank. Um, so, um, and, and then another thing is we've done quite a bit of work to, I would call this kind of an aha moment. We We've become aware, we, we had thought for a long time that our electricity rate was was more flat, like it either, it was probably varied monthly, but wasn't didn't have a significant hourly component. But what we've learned through quite a bit of digging along with a kind of as part of a grad student master's thesis project, um, we've we've learned and worked with our electricity supplier to find out that, that our uh, we actually have hourly varying electricity pricing. Um, so, as you can imagine, then uh, we can basically flexibly dispatch our chillers when we want um, using the chillers uh, to to either feed the tank or to feed campus when the the power is cheap, and then using the tank to provide the cooling when the power is expensive. Um, so we created this screen uh, to essentially put in front of the operators the uh, electricity pricing as well as the um, the uh, their uh, chilled water uh, use in in the actually it's the electricity used by the chillers in kilowatt hours, sorry. Right. So the so the use so the use is the uh, orange line. The green line on the top is the is the current rate. Yes, and also the uh, projected rate for looks like about oh, twenty four okay. hours. And then another thing okay. we we were able calculated uh, for them. This is a PyVision screen. Was uh, that says that the TS tank by itself could satisfy campus for the next seventeen hours. So, so this is, is this is meant to help the operators know uh, if they look ahead and, and see a, a price spike coming up, uh, what do they need to do? Uh, um, you know, if, if that number was one hour, 
then that that means they don't have enough storage to to kind of get quote unquote get through the the uh, through the price spike. Um, but if it's 17 hours, and they can basically they know they can run from the tank for a long period of time and get past the high pricing, not using the chillers, get past the high pricing and get to a point of low pricing where they, then they can fill up the tank. So that's really important information for them to know that uh, 17 hours there. Um, okay, and this and this actually impacted the way they ran it, right? Yeah, and that's what I wanted to show you the next slide here. Yeah, this is amazing. So I'm showing the next slide. Yeah, this is like the classic: uh, put the data in front of the users, and 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 they change their behavior. You know, we we also met with them and told them what we wanted them to do. So there was it, was, it wasn't just that we, uh, you know, we informed them about the data, but um, so let's see, the period in the top graph prior to training is. Uh, in November of 2019, and then the period in the bottom graph is in December of 2019. And so uh, one is before we talked to them and one is after. And you can see that uh, really for historical reasons, the orange line and the green line are peaking at, at similar times. So what that basically means is that we're using our electric chillers at the same time when the price is the highest. Right. Uh, so these right here. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, and this is this was happening, I would say, largely due to the fact that there were historical reasons for running this way that that may have been price driven, but uh, the California grid pricing has changed significantly so that daytime electricity is much less expensive because of the amount of solar on the grid, and so we hadn't really changed our operations to to uh, account for that. And then, furthermore, as I mentioned before, we thought it didn't matter because we thought our electricity pricing was was flat. Um, so you see that within a month, they've basically really uh, impressively um, changed. They're not, they're not, there's not any optimization algorithm or anything. This is just literally them looking at the screen and us telling them, hey, we want you to run the chillers when the power is cheap. Uh, and, and, and they, that's very yeah, cool. They, and that's exactly what they're doing. So yeah. they're avoiding the spikes in the price yeah. and, and where they can. They're doing it quite well. Cool. I mean, you can see even, it looks to me like the, the, the between the, third spike sorry the second spike to the right and the third spike to the right it looks like they've actually maybe gone for two days i need to think about this oh maybe not mm -hmm. uh, i think they've at times been able to actually go for two days without running the running the chillers when when needed um so um, the power of putting data in front of operators oh, that's very cool okay well, Abe, what, if, what kind of advice would you have to somebody who's trying to make better use of their real-time data and facilities? Um, Anybody who's like at a point where you were when you first came in? Yeah. Maybe they have a system that brings the data. Maybe they don't. What, what would you suggest? Yeah, I mean, I would say that um, just, you know, prioritize and t take take things a little bit at a time. Uh, I, I think that it's, it's overwhelming. I, there's this feeling with data that you're always behind. Um, that that um, you know you're always a little behind where you want to be, uh, and part of that I think is just due to the the fact that there's a, a lot that can kind of drift, but also just the fact that uh, as technology improves, uh, there's more to do to sort of stay up to, up to speed up to speed, and it's possible to kind of do bits and pieces and not really ever kind of get any any sort of comprehensive program. So. I would say like prioritize and do things a little bit at a time, uh, and then also you know try try to do things in kind of an, a way that uh, changes processes, so that at least if you've done something, then then it'll stick, you know, and you, you have processes that will that will allow it to stick. 
Um, and then I, I think another piece of advice is try to get uh, management buy-in into the value of data, and um, and so, so that so that management understands it and and uh, supports um, both in terms of time utilization of existing staff and potentially hiring of new staff. Uh, that kind of endeavor. You know, I was hired, I'm kind of in a different role now, but I was really hired in a role to work on data. Um, and that was something that management thought was valuable uh, because we think that our, our part of our mission in utilities is to not just keep the power on, but also to provide data to the campus and to the public. So uh, if you have that buy-in, and, and, and I think we have control. In my case, I was hired to, to, into a team that already had that kind of belief, but I think we do have some control to maintain that belief uh, as, and show the value of data, so. Very cool, yeah. very cool. Okay, well, we don't have any questions from the audience, and um, if you, if there's anything that we, you wanted to talk about that we didn't talk about, please let me know. Uh, what I wanted to do there real quick uh, is just a quick lightning round of different questions for you. Sure. So right off the top of your head, okay? Mm -hmm. Here we go. You're okay with that? Yeah. Great, okay. So, um, First question is, were there any surprises when you started working within the university environment in like the power profile of daily use that you see? Because it, it stunned me when I first started, realized that, uh, you know, everybody uses electricity when they go home and turn on their ovens, right? But I'm guessing it's not like that on campus. Yeah. Uh, the surprise for campus is how, how large our base load is. Um, we, have a 20, we have a 40 megawatt peak and a 20 megawatt base load. And it's just, it's, it's, it's amazing just how much power we use when no one is here. And most of that is just because of the fact that it's not true that no one is here. In, in particular, okay. we have animals here and, and other, we have a lot of animals here, but there's other researchers and critical stuff that's going on that, that uses essentially when nobody's here, we're using about half of what we, what we are using when everybody's here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how about the over like uh, days of the week? Any days of the week that are stand out as anomalies in uh, university life? Uh, I mean, Saturday and Sunday are are uh, lower use in, in terms of electricity. Lower use. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't make sense. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, Sunday, probably Sunday. I think everybody's a little the most the most lazy on uh, Sunday. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, um, do you have? Do you currently have a piece of broken gear or fried? motherboard or whatever that you keep on your desk as a memento? Um, I don't have anything. Oh, I have, I can share a few things. Uh, I have, a, um, <laughs> I have some, some uh, fertilizer produced by our renewable energy anaerobic, anaerobic biodigester. So the effluent, we're trying to turn the effluent of that into fertilizer. And I have a bottle of it uh, on my desk. I, I've not yet, uh, had the boldness to pour it onto my roses, but hopefully I'll get <laughs> okay. there sometime. Okay. So what kind of thing keeps you up at night worrying about facilities in a university? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm blessed that right now I'm in a role where I don't have a lot of, um, 24 seven support. I, I imagine I, I will probably eventually aspire to such a role. Um, so, you know, the thing that comes, if there's anything that keeps me up, it's probably, um, uh, the Pi system and like if it breaks, that's that honestly has been one of the things that's that's uh, kept me up and gotten me up early uh, when things go, you know, if there's a network switch outage. So, you know, it, it's my baby in that sense that I'm like, if it's if it's broken, I, I like I want to fix it within 30 minutes. And then the other thing is just, um, you know, uh, as, as you become a supervisor, um, 
the needs of the needs of my team and the responsibilities of doing doing a good job for the campus and for our, all our stakeholders uh, really can can weigh on me. And, yeah. what, what's the first computer you ever used? Oh man, probably an Apple II. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Is that like in school or? Uh, no, like at, um, at my friend's house, we had like really really cool games we played on the Apple II. You know. Very cool. Space quarks. Cool. Okay. Space quarks. <laughs> okay. So at your location, what's the best view? And what are you looking at when you're looking at the best view? Oh, man, there's a lot of good views here. Uh, I'd say my favorite view is we have a lot, as I mentioned, we have a large campus, 5,000 5, acres. We have some really beautiful agricultural land with vineyards on it that kind of faces out toward the hills. Uh, and there's like all kind of a row of olive trees with vineyards in the background and then hills behind that. For me, that Very that's cool. it. Yeah. Okay. And just describe a day in your life. What, uh, what kind of stuff do you do? Yeah. Um, I'm, uh, you know, doing a good amount of email and, uh, helping my team with questions and then, um, working with, working with other folks, going to quite a few meetings, maybe sometimes a few more than I'd like. And then usually I have, a few projects that I'm I'm still the lead on, largely related to our purchased utilities budget that I'm trying to push forward uh, in my spare time. Okay, great, great. Well, David, thank you so much. Thanks for. Uh, let me just double check and see if we've gotten any questions that came in. And uh, let's see. Um, let's see. Just a comment. Um, this comment is to prioritize, focus on lasting process change, ensure management buy-in. I think someone's taking notes. That's, that's exactly what you said, right? Yeah. But that's words to the wise, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. Larry Schutzberg said very much the same thing. He said, you know, we interviewed him last week. Yeah. And he said, yeah, you, you need to get buy-in. He says grassroots, eh, maybe. But you need you need somebody that can push it and empower you to make change. It's true. And, so. and um you know, as, as leadership kind of um, changes, you see, you really, sometimes when a change happens, you really see the, the impact of, of having buy-in and then moving to not having buy-in or vice versa. And you didn't realize, you know, oh, this, uh, you know, I was able to do this because I had, because, because the person, one or two people above me believed in this. And then if they don't, it's like, you have to decide, well, should I keep going or, or just let it go? Cause they don't care. <laughs> You know, <laughs> so but yes. so then there's that decision point of whether you think it's at, at some point you have to say this is valuable regardless. Um, but yeah, yeah, right. Well, thank you so much again for sharing what you know about working with real time data with us. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. And thank you all for joining us again. It's Nick Durazio. Bye bye.